good for us to be reminded. Uh, not to fret. Uh, is, is there? Is, sorry. So, sorry about that, guys. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's important for us to remember not to fret when there's so many uh, reasons to fret, including uh, your technology not working because it changes week to week because we bought a shovel with no handle that we have to work up to it every week. So, awesome. Anyway, moving right along. We're in the book of Exodus. So, we uh, spoke last week about hearing the message of the Lord and and uh, and and the reality that, that when Moses heard this message from the Lord to do something, he didn't want to do it. And I talk to people all the time who are waiting for a message of the Lord, and I wanted to ask us the question, and I think it's a really important question, uh, is it possible that, that, that we've heard direction from the Lord and we just don't want to do it? And, and is it possible that what's missing isn't direction but obedience. We ultimately see this in Moses, that Moses obeys and he finds that his joy is on the other side of obedience. We see this with Jesus as well. Jesus demonstrates to us that he did not want to go to the cross. He did not want to do the thing that he had been called to do, and yet he did it willingly because he understood that on the other side of obedience was his joy. And I wanted us to ask the question last week, is it possible that, that we have heard the word from the Lord of what we've been called to do and we are just shrinking back and saying like Moses, please send someone else. Just please send someone else. I just don't want to do it. And making all sorts of excuses for why we're ill-equipped or, or ill-chosen to do that job and just stepping back and saying, I don't want to do that. What I want, us, I want us to stay in this scene of the burning bush this week, but I want us to ask the question because I think in, in, in getting over that thing that is inside us that makes us say, please send someone else, I think one of the most important things that happens in this scene is that, is that Moses is introduced to God for the first time. And his introduction to God ought to help him solve the issue of, of what he has done uh, and, and ought to help him solve the problem of, of, of believing that he is ill-equipped and incapable of doing what God has called him to do. So we're back in Exodus chapter 3. So we're at this burning bush. When the Lord saw that he had gone overlooked, God called to him, Moses, from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So we're seeing that in this entire section, in this scene, Moses is introducing himself to God. Moses has obviously heard of God. He's heard the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's, he's familiar with it, but he does not know the Lord. 
Okay, and some of you have confused faces, like how could a Moses not know the Lord? But we all know people that have grown up in churches, spent entire lives occupying pews, and yet do not know the Lord. You can know of the Lord and not know him. You can know about someone and, and, and never have met them. And at this point, God is introducing himself to Moses for what seems like the first time in Moses' life. And he does this by saying, the person, the God that you've heard stories about, the God that you've heard stories told about, that's me. The God of your father, the God of Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who did all of those things in the past, that's me. That's the God that we're talking about. And he introduces himself in that way. So if we're to understand that God is also introducing himself to us all the time, because we are foolish people who require God to reintroduce himself to us, then, then we look at God's introduction, and the first thing that God makes clear to us is that he is the God that we have heard of. And everyone on this planet has heard of some sort of God. They've heard of some sort of thing that is greater than they are. They've heard of some sort of power that, that works in the world to ensure the things that they want or they desire. And that it might be twisted and it might be incorrect. But God is saying, that God that you've heard of, I'm him. You don't know it yet. You might not have every answer right. But God is the God that you have heard of. And he continues. So the Lord said... I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is interesting because the first thing that God says to Moses after he introduces himself is that he has seen the suffering of his people. He has seen their misery. And I think it's very clear that as God is introducing himself, he's introducing himself as a God that sees the suffering of people who are oppressed. And that ought to cause us to stop and do not think for a moment that God ignores or does not see when people are hurting. And that ought to do two things. That ought to embolden us. If you are hurting, if you ever ex experienced pain that you believed was ignored in the past, that was not ignored. God saw that. It frustrated him. It angered him. God was moving to rescue. But if you have experienced that pain where, where, it, where someone has done something to you that is beyond your comprehension, God sees that. God sees the hand of the, 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 the suffering of the oppressed. That ought to embolden us. That ought to encourage us. That ought to remind us that God is seeing every hurt that happens, every, every crime, every, every damage that is inflicted on his people. God sees. He is aware of it. And he has is, he is heard of the crying out and he is concerned about suffering. That ought to embolden us. That ought to encourage us. But that also ought to concern us because we need to make sure that we are not the ones inflicting suffering on others as well. We ought to make sure that we are not participating in the suffering 
of others as well. And I say this not because I believe that any of you are abject oppressors, but because the reality is churches have become places where people have ignored the suffering of others because we've forgotten that God sees it. In the last two months, giant scandals have come out about uh, evangelical denominations in the U.S. One through the Dallas-Fort Worth Chronicle uh, documented decades of sexual abuse and harassment uh, by pastors all over the Southeast uh, uh, United States and all over the United States in a uh, in a uh, independent Baptist denomination. And then just recently, uh, the Houston Chronicle did another massive expose about uh, about long streams of, of abuse and uh, and sexual harassment within the Southern Baptist denomination that was ignored. And if you want to read something that will, at the same time, that will, that will, let me put it this way. The Dallas-Fort Worth Chronicle story, one of the, the things that has been most haunting to me in my entire life, just made a spreadsheet of every documented instance of sexual abuse at that by clergy in this denomination. And it had the person... The, the crime that was commi committed and, and their current status and, and what had been pursued. And, and you could see over the 258 lines of this spreadsheet of documented crimes that people had ignored it at every step of the way. And one of the issues that had come out was, was, was years ago, someone had suggested to the Southern Baptist denomination, maybe we should create a database about all of our pastors that have been uh, convicted or, or proven to have committed sexual harassment, and we can keep that. And then if people are getting resumes for other pastoral jobs, they can just run it through the database and be like, is this just to make sure, and they voted that down. And the reason why denominations have allowed that to happen, the reason why people like me have ignored it, and the reason why I need to say it out loud, is we, because we've forgotten that God is a God that sees the suffering. God is a God that sees the suffering and is concerned about it. He's concerned about their suffering and he moves to rescue. We ought to be emboldened by that for those of us who are hurting, and we ought to be concerned about that where we've ignored the suffering of others as well. God is a God who sees the suffering of the oppressed, and God doesn't just stop there because God rescues. He doesn't just stop at noticing. God steps in and intervenes and rescues those who are suffering. And we see that quite clearly in this passage. And then we, so as God continues to introduce himself, Moses begins to argue with him. We saw him last week. Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And that is the only thing that matters at all. On the resume that Moses offers for why he ought to be the person to, to go to Pharaoh and deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, the only piece of information on that resume that is in any way valuable is that God is with him. That is the most important thing. And you need to understand, and I need to understand, and the things that we've been called to do, the only piece of information, the only line on the resume that matters is, is God with us or not? 
Because if God is with us, as we see in this story, that all things work together, that God is with the people that are doing his work. We've seen, we've, you've all heard the verse, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. You've all heard that verse. All things work together for good because God is working with those people. There's not a math that like, okay, well, I love the Lord and I'm going to go do what I want to do and then it's going to work. No, God is with the people that are doing his work and not just in some sort of vague feeling way where it feels like God is with me and I feel emboldened by this, but in, in, in a very tangible way that God is working on behalf of his people. We see this. That, that, that when Moses begins to, when God begins to explain to Moses what he's going to do, he says this, he says, the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are going to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to our God. But I know, God says, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask your neighbor to any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. Look here at all the things that God will do on Moses' behalf. Moses doesn't have to stretch out his hand against Pharaoh. God will stretch out his hand against Pharaoh. God doesn't have to convince the, sorry, Moses doesn't have to convince the Egyptians to be favorable to them. God will make the Egyptians favorable as they pay reparations to these people that are leaving. And this continues into the next passages as Moses, as he says to Moses, like, throw your staff on the ground, it'll turn into a snake, and he demonstrates it for him. Put your hand in your cloak, and it will turn leprous, and then it will be clean again. God will perform all of these miracles. God will organize all of these things. All Moses has to do is just show up and talk. And when God is with us, we find ourselves in that position that all the things that we're afraid of, I can't do this, I can't do that, God's going to do that. Your job is to show up. Your job is to just show up. And sometimes showing up is the most difficult thing that any of us could do. And we see even with Moses that, that even as he all he has to do is show up and talk, he says, I'm not equipped to do that. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech, and, tongue. and the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? And who makes them deaf or mute? Or who gives them sight and makes them blind? Is it, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. If you are deathly afraid that, like, I'm not equipped to do the things that God wants me to do, God is saying, go, and I'll show you what to do. Go. Do obey. The biggest thing that you need to do is obey. Just shut up and obey, Moses, God seems to be saying. And I will give you the words when you get there. Moses continues to argue. And I love this exchange because, because as a parent, I get this exchange that God is having with Moses. I want you to put your parent hat on and place yourself in God's position as you're talking to Moses. Because as a parent, you've done a thing where it's like, go do this thing. Well, I don't know how to do that thing. Go do, just, go do the thing that I have asked you to do, right? 
Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Just finally, after all of this, it breaks down to like, I just don't want to do it. And the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And this is a very fascinating thing that, that the Lord's anger burns against Moses, but he doesn't rescind his call on him. It's not like God says like, fine, I'm done with you. Go away. The Lord's anger burns against Moses. And he said, well, what about your brother then? Aaron the Levite. I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth and I will have both of you speak and tell you what to do. He will speak to the people for you. It will be as if he were in your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand and then you can perform the signs with it. God's so, God is just like, fine. I'll give you Moses. Go. You know, and, and I find this amazing and hilarious that, that, that this God that is so frustrated, uh, there's a... Uh, <laughs> There's a very colloquial word that's a little bit rude that probably describes God's, uh, God's disposition at this point in time. But, but God, in his frustration, still provides partners for us. God, in his frustration, provides allies for us, provides teammates, provides brothers and sisters, provides family, provides a body around us that says, okay, fine, you can't do this, somebody else can. Make room for them to do it and then go do it. So we see that God is introducing himself to us in this way. And I want to ask you at this point, last week I asked the question, is it possible that obedience is the issue? Okay, and I believe that for me, I believe that for some of you, it probably is. But once we understand this reality of who God is, does this make obedience easier? Because it ought to. If you believe that God has called you to do something, does it change things to trust that God sees the suffering of the oppressed? He sees your fear. He sees your frustration. He sees the way that you feel that you've been ignored. He sees that and notices it and cares and is rescuing it and has rescued you and is sending you to rescue other people. That's part of the process that he's doing, that you're participating in rescuing other people. Does this matter and change things that God is doing that in and with you? That God is going to be with you doing the work? That he's going to be doing most of the work? That most of all he's just asking you to show up so that you can see what he's doing and grow to know and to love him more? Does it help you to obey when you trust that as you begin to obey and show up for God, that God is going to provide you with other people around you who will walk beside you? I've seen this happen. This is incredibly, incredibly important. Sit. Sorry. Um, sorry. This is incredibly important. And does this make obedience easier? Because I think it's easier for us to obey if we can love and trust the person that we've been called to obey. And we see no clearer example of this than when Jesus went to the cross. Similar as last week, Jesus did not want to go to the cross. But what enabled him to go was that he said, not my will but yours be done. His trust for the Lord, that what he was doing was purposeful and valuable. And even though it cost him in fear and pain, he was willing to do so because he trusted the God that was on the other side. He knew the Father. He loved the Father. He knew that the Father loved him. And as he demonstrated that, that enabled him to take those steps forward to show up when he needed to show up. 
So I would ask us as we come to this table to remember that. That in what ways does knowing who God is make our obedience easier? In what ways have you been forgetting that God is the God that you have heard of? All of those stories that you've heard about other people having experiences with God, that that can happen for you as well. Have you forgotten that? Have you forgotten that God sees the suffering of, you, of the oppressed? Have you forgotten that? Is that a thing that, that, that you need to re-remember in your heart? That God notices you, that God rescues, that God is not just standing aloof and afar going like, well, that's interesting. Let's see how things are going to go. And it's thrown out as creation to kind of wind its way as it will. God is involved and is rescuing you. And that does it change things when you recognize that God is do with you when he's doing his work, that he's doing most of it for you? And does it change? And do you need to remember that God is providing family and partners for us? Who is around you that you are ignoring as your family? Who are the errands who are around you that are equipped to help that you're pushing aside because you are unwilling to trust that God has placed them in your path for help and for support. So let's take some time as we come to his table to remember all of the ways that we've forgotten who God is and to reintroduce ourselves to him because it's in him and in, in obedience to him that we're going to find our joy and our peace. Let's pray to God.